this morning, I need to start off with a confession. It's not always good for your preacher to start off this sermon with a confession, but I'm going to. Um, here it is. I love magic. I do. Um, not like the Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings type of magic, but I like magic tricks. Grew up watching David Blaine, David Copperfield. When I was eight years old, my grandma bought me my first magic kit. And I mean, I just need to apologize. My parents are watching at some point. I'm so sorry for all those shows I put on <laughs> over the years that you had to sit through. But, you know, starting at eight, I did this all the time. We'd go into magic show, uh, shops and I would always buy some trick or whatever. And, 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 and then growing, getting older, I started actually doing it a lot and got pretty good at it to where I started doing little kids' birthday parties. In high school, this was what my job was. I'd go to birthday party, especially in the winter, because you don't know what to do with your kid for their birthday party if it's in the winter. You can only go to the skating rink so many times, right? And so they'd bring me in, and I'd do a show, and then I'd make balloon animals. I never dressed up as a clown. That was my line, okay? I wouldn't cross that line. But uh, I did this, you know, and, and I, started, I just loved magic, so much so that my 16th birthday, my dad took me to Boston, Massachusetts, no lie, for the National Magicians Convention. I'm not even embarrassed. Like, it was awesome. I mean, I, just all over the place. People doing magic tricks in the lobby till midnight, and just people, professionals from all over the world, they're showing tricks, and you're just like, what is going on? This is incredible. I love magic. And so, anyway, anything that's like that type of kind of technique that you got to really do well and practice a lot and have it refined, like, you lose it if you, if you don't use it. And I haven't used it for a long time, but I'm going to do a trick today, okay? Okay, so I need some help, though. So um, if you are a fourth or fifth grader, do you want to come up on stage? If you are here today, come on up. I want to have you guys. It's Family Sunday. would love to kind of have you guys come on up. Give them a round of applause. Great stuff. Come on up. Okay. Okay. You can, guys can sit right here. Like this is like story time with Uncle Cy, right? So sit right here. Hang out with me. Awesome. Wow, we got a lot coming. This is fantastic. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, so this would be the last trick that I would... No, Charles, get back to your seat. We don't want you up here. Okay. Can you guys come over here a little bit more and fill in the... Yeah, just kind of scoot in. Uh, yeah, the, uh, you, you guys are fine. You guys come over here. Perfect. Okay. So... Um, this didn't work last service, okay? So I needed to work this service. So you guys all, can I see your eyes? Okay. You will see how this trick is done. The person sitting in this chair won't, okay? So when you see how it's done, you're my helper. You're in on the trick, so don't say anything. Like, take your mouse, close them, okay? Close your mouth. Maybe sit on your hands. If you like, like point at stuff, okay, I'm going to show, you'll, don't, don't say anything, don't ruin it, Every, they, you guys will see everything too, but the person sitting in this chair, we're going to make them look like a fool. It's going to be glorious, okay, but you have to help me, okay, so, Quaddy. Okay, here we go. Thank you, so what we do for a trick, don't tell them, don't tell them, okay, no, I know. So at the end of a, of a birthday party, I'd have all the kids come, and their parent would come and sit in the chair, and we'd do a really simple trick, okay? It's, this is called a sponge ball, okay? And you guys are going to count with me. You're going to go one, two, three, and then Quaddy, you're going to have to guess which ball, the, I mean, which hand the ball's in, this okay. one or this one. So it'll go one, two, three, okay. and you'll have to guess, right? And then you'll do this one, this one. You guys got it? Okay. You got the game? Okay, here we go. You guys ready? You going to count with me? Ready? No? Yeah. Here we go. Ready? One, 
two, three. No. Actually, look, it's not in either hand. <laughs> oh, no, 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 stay down, stay down. Don't, 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 don't move, don't move. Keep your eyes shut, okay? Let's try it again. Okay, here we go. Here's another ball. Okay, let's try it again. Here we go, Kawadi. Okay, ready? Actually, you know what? Maybe this will help. Put your hands right here like this and just focus. You got to watch this exchange right here. It's like that. It's like that. Okay, you guys ready? One, two, three. Nope, it's not that one. (laughs) And it's not this one either, actually. It's not there. It's what's happening. Okay, one more time. This time, this time, maybe you need some binoculars. No, 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 don't tell. Don't shh, shh. It's you're in on the secret. Maybe use your binoculars, hands like this. Okay, just really focus. Ready? Like this okay. or like this. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Where is it at? This one for sure. Nope, it's actually, and it's actually not here anywhere. I know. Give her an applause. Great job. And actually, they're right behind you here, Claudie. So. <laughs> Thank you. Guys, great job. Go ahead and have a seat. Way to go. Yeah. Here we go. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, I love that. So, um, I am not a professional magician for a reason. But here's why I love magic, okay? Because things aren't always how they seem. They're just not. Things aren't always how they seem, especially when it comes to magic. What you say is happening is not happening. This is not that, right? And then there's something inside of us that we know when we see it, and we're fooled, and our mind's telling us that, yeah, they made that disappear. You're like, that can't be right. Like, that can't be true. Something is going on. There's some illusion. There's some sleight of hand. There's some misdirection. And there's some, everything inside of us wants to know what's going on. Pull back the veil. Show me what's going on behind the scenes a little bit. And no matter how often I tell people, the best thing about magic is not knowing how it works. It really is. I mean, the best thing about magic, after you've done it for a while and you learn all the secrets, I see a trick and sometimes I'm like, I don't want to know. Because it's more fun on this side. Like, once you show me how it works, that's the worst part about magic. And I'll tell people, they beg me, tell me, how you, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? I was like, no, I'm not going to tell you. I promise you, it's better to not know. Like, it totally ruins it if you know how it works. But there's something inside of us, right? When we see that, we go, things aren't always what they seem. What I'm seeing is not reality. And we desire and we yearn for someone to pull back the veil and show us, look, let me show you what's actually happening here. What's going on? And that's exactly what the book of Revelation is all about. Shane taught us last week, as we kicked off the book in Revelation 1, the Revelation is a prophecy, not in the, not the sense of prediction, like we're predicting the future. Prophecy is, does three things. It tells you who God is, what he desires, and what he demands of us. That's what prophecy does. And he's giving us a message. He's pulling back the veil and saying, let me show you truly and realistically, and, and the reality, this is what God is. This is who he looks like. This is what he desires for this world. Let me show you the veil. Let me pull back. This is what he desires. See this? And then this is what he demands of us. And he pull back the veil consistently. So Revelation is this prophecy, but it's also two other types of literatures. Like Revelation actually is three different types of literatures or genre. Kind of like a Taylor Swift song. You're not sure if it's country or pop or blah, right? It's like one of those. Um, if, so if you're a Taylor Swift fan, I'm sorry. I'm just, I am, I am actually. Um, uh, did not mean, that was a confession. <laughs> Didn't mean for that to come out. Um, anyway, moving on. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. The very first word in the Greek text is apocalypsis. Okay, 
which is where we get the word apocalyptic. Not in the way you think apocalyptic today. It's not like Mad Max, okay? But apocalyptic is a common type of literature in the first century. Jews wrote this. They used it. The best example we have that's kind of modern to apocalyptic literature is probably a political cartoon, okay? Every image, the elephant, the donkey, every number is weighed and, and, and symbol. It stands for something for a strategic purpose in, for its intended audience. And this is what Revelation is. It's Dave Erickson uses the illustration of apocalyptic literature with a ladder. And he says what, what, what John is doing in the book of Revelation is he's getting up on a ladder. And there's, he's acting as if there's like this thin veil, this, this crust, if you will, in between heaven and earth. In Revelation 1, he kind of takes you above the, the veil and shows you this is what heaven looks like. The resurrected son, Jesus, is reigning, and he has white hair, and he's wisdom, and he has eyes like burning fire, like a, like a furnace. And, and this is who you are worshiping. This is who has defeated death. But then he takes you below the veil and to earth, and he says, but let me show you what's going on here. There's seven churches. And, and he keeps going back and forth. And these seven churches need to know that this is their king. And so you live life differently here on earth because of what's going on in heaven. And then in earth, it's not just about Jesus in heaven. It's who's on the throne, Revelation 4 and 5. And back and forth, back and forth. He continues to pull back the veil and reveal that what's going on in heaven is impacting what's going on on earth. It's actually showing you that what's going on on earth, underneath the veil, that's life. That's upside down. It's not how God intended life to be. Because we rebelled against God's creation. And so we're actually living in life in the upside down. And when we go above the veil into heaven, he shows us this is what life is like right side up. Jesus is on the throne. He's victorious. So what does that mean for us, the church, living life upside down here today in this world. It's interesting, when you talk about this book of Revelation and you get taken up to these, these glorious visions and these ecstasies of heaven, that's like what we think Revelation should be about, the, this book. But consistently, John keeps pushing us back down to earth. Because of that reality, we get, let's talk about earth. What's going on on earth? Eugene Peters says it this way, Peterson says it this way, that this is what we typically desire today. This is what we yearn to do when it comes to the book of Revelation. We would prefer to go directly from the awesome vision of Christ, Revelation 1, to the glorious ecstasies of heaven, Revelation 4 and 5. But we can't do that. The church has to be negotiated first. The only way from Christ to heaven and the battles against sin is through the church. Because you see, it's not just apocalyptic literature. That's the second genre. But the third type of literature is the book of Revelation is a letter. It's a letter from a pastor to his congregation. It's him writing down, and he said, I got a message for you. And if it's going to mean anything to us today, that book has to mean something to them first. Because John wrote it to them. Real churches at addresses and corners of a city that were struggling with, with persecution and false teaching and deception and intimidation and fear. And this book is a message. If you read the book of Revelation and you get scared, you're reading it wrong. That's not the point of the book. It's to be a blessing. It's to give you confidence and courage to advance the mission of God. You see, things aren't always what they seem. He's writing to this broken institution called the church. It's a thing that they call the lampstand, right? We are the lampstand. And we look at the lampstand all by itself. It's just kind of ordinary and plain and blah. But that's not the purpose of a lampstand is to be looked at. 
to be fixed, to be polished. The lampstand's purpose is to hold light. It's to be a stand for the lamps. And that's the key here, is that the glorious vision of Jesus in Revelation 1 is walking amidst the lampstands because he is the light on the lampstand that gives the lamps purpose. It gives the lamps beauty. It gives the lamps fulfillment and what they are called to do. We are lampstands. We are vessels through which light is brought forth into the world. You see, this broken institution called the church, it's the thing that the glorious Son of Man walks in the midst of. It's where heaven meets earth. I mean, look around you. Here, amongst all of you, here is the scrawny, and here is the, is the skinny. The pimples, the balding, the body odor, right? In the midst of this is divinity, is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty is the place where heaven meets earth. It's the place where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is reigning over his kingdom at 4311 East Newman Road. It's a contradiction. It's just, it's a lamp standing in its light. Things aren't always what they seem. And so he pulls back the veil between earth and heaven to reveal that what seems right side up is actually upside down. Take a look at what I mean here in Revelation 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This letter is written to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now that angel is, is literally the idea of messenger, and it can mean one of two things. Uh, commentators, some of them say it's, it's the pastor or, the, or the, the chief elder of that church, the messenger, the overseer of that church. Or others say, no, 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 it's, it's actually the guardian angel. There's kind of debate, but the idea is this. That this is a message to real people in a real pace and in a real time with a real purpose. And that this particular aspect of the glorious Jesus is being contextualized to this specific church. And to the church in Ephesus, the focus was that the one in control of the stars, the cosmos, is in the midst of the lampstands, the churches. Well, another piece that's really uh, important to understand about these letters to these seven churches is that they're written in a chiastic structure. Okay, we think about things in the Western world in a linear fashion, right? A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. But the Jews didn't do that. They thought through things cyclically. The, the first topic was a subtopic and it paralleled to the last topic. Then the second topic paralleled to the second to last topic and the third topic to the third to last. And the main point was in the middle. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. This is the structure of the seven churches. You have Ephesus and Laodicea. John's message is the same thing to those two churches. Then you have Smyrna and Philadelphia. It's the same message. He's pulling back the veil. He's pulling back the veil to them for the same purpose and the same reason. He's revealing something to them. Then there's Pergamum and Thyatira. Same message. And then Sardis is kind of the, is kind of the, the, the arrow, the point of the arrow that he's trying to get across to these churches in Asia Minor. And so we're going to take two of these churches at a time. So what is his message to Ephesus and Laodicea? L- look at what I mean here. Revelation 2, 4 through 5. This is what he's pulling back the veil to reveal to the churches, to you. Yet I hold this against you, Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent is the command. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Do you see the imperative? 
Do you see the command to repent? It's the idea of change of direction. It's a 180. It's a U-turn. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of emotions, a change of behaviors and habits. And he's saying, Ephesus, I need you to repent from what you're doing today, the direction you're heading. And it's the same message to Laodicea. Look at chapter 3. Remember, this is the last church he writes to. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. And what's the command? Repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, here's John's message to the first two churches. Repent. Stop. Like, halt. You're going in the wrong direction. Like, I remember driving down Main Street in Evansville for the very first time, and a guy rolled down his window and yelled at me. I was like, that's an idiot. Excuse me. I don't like him. I'm sorry. It's family Sunday. Like, that mean person. He's unkind. And I drove a little further, and then I realized that I was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. He was saying, turn around. You're going to kill somebody. That's what John's saying to Ephesus. Ephesus, you're doctrinally sound great. You're keeping the wolves out of the sheep pen. That's fantastic. But you forgot what the whole enchilada is all about. It's about love. Love God. Love neighbor. Laodicea, I'm glad that you're able to establish a great city and that after the earthquake you're able to rebuild it yourself. You don't need any assistance from the outside world. But guess what? In your arrogance, in your effectiveness, in your efficiency, you lost your humility. You lost the fact that you desperately need a savior. Repent. His message to both of them is this. You're heading in the wrong direction. Repent. And know about the differences of each of these churches and the letters to the churches. The response that, the, that, that John is calling the churches to is always the same. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Marshall McLuhan's a professor of philosophy at the University of Toronto. And he made the interesting observation that nature did not give us ear lids. Like we got eyelids, but he didn't give us anything to cover over our ears. But don't worry, he says, we, we figure out ways to compensate for that, don't we? We are conveniently deaf to the sounds and history and life from the right side up that challenge our pride, that show us wisdom, that guide us into the life, into life out of the upside down and life into the right side up. I mean, we have messages from beyond the veil in heaven that are screaming down at us, that's the wrong direction, don't go there. History shows that when you do those kinds of things, when you live that kind of life, it leads to death and destruction and hell on earth all around you. He says, but we don't listen. We choose to be deaf because we think that the world here, this reality, what the world promises us and whispers at night, that money and status and image, that those things are the key to the full life. And our heavy ears deafen out the voice from behind the veil, crying out to us, repent, pleading with us, repent, stop. That's life in the upside down. Let me pull back the veil to show you what life looks like right side up. The glorious Jesus who's on the throne. So that's maybe the message you need to hear today. You're heading in the wrong direction, friend, brother, sister. Repent. Look at the next message he says to the next two churches. This is to, if you can show you that diagram again, we, we move from Ephesus and Laodicea to Smyrna and Philadelphia. And this is the message that he says to them, to Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, Smyrna was the capital of worship of Caesar in Rome. It was the very first place that the goddess of Roma was, had a temple built in her honor and was worshipped. And so it's like the center of the imperial cult. I mean, this is the place where when you live in Smyrna, you go to temple every, every Sunday, right? You move to Smyrna, hey, which temple do you attend is the question that they ask. And so the Christians that are wrestling through what it means to be faithful Christians in this world and in Smyrna, they have the threat of persecution hanging over them consistently because they know that they find out that they're not a temple on Sunday. They're not worshiping Roma. Rome, man, that, these, that the, the community there has the right and the obligation to turn them in. They were in a heap of trouble. So was Philadelphia. Philadelphia, this is what he says to Philadelphia. I know that you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, same phrase, to Smyrna, who claim to be Jews, though they are not. See how I'm pulling, he's pulling back the veil? They say they're Jews, but they're not. Let me show you reality. They're liars. I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. You see, the Jews were also after the Christian community because they didn't worship Caesar either. And so, like Shane talked about last week, when Rome is persecuting all the people who don't worship Caesar, they look at the Jews and they say, we're going to take out the Jews. And the Jews say, um, and they take the Christians and say, here, persecute them. And they shield themselves with the Christians. And the Romans look at the Jews and think, well, they look like Jews too. I can't tell the difference, so they kill the Christians. To the Jews, he's saying, let me show you reality. They say they're the people of God, but they're not. They're a synagogue of Satan, shielding themselves, allowing the Christians and pushing the Christians to be persecuted. You see, both of these churches seem like they're going to be, they're going to fold, that they're about to die. Yet both of these churches are the only churches out of the seven that don't have a condemnation, but only a commendation. Look at what he says to them. Smyrna, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Philadelphia, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. His message to them is to be faithful and to hold on. Why? He's pulling back the veil. Because remember, things aren't always what they seem. And even though the synagogue of Satan seems like it has all of its authority, and, and Rome is coming hard with the strong arm of the law, let me pull back the veil and promise you and show you the glorious Jesus. Let me get up on my ladder and, and show you. Look up here. Jesus is on the throne. You are his, you belong to him. And so on this earth, hold on, be faithful. His message to them is not that you're heading in the wrong direction. It's, it's this, that you are doing better than you think. So hold on. Maybe you need to hear that today. Perhaps your finances are just in shambles right now and you feel like you're barely scraping by Maybe the message to you today is hold on. Diligence and generosity brings about a blessing that far outweighs riches and wealth and comfort. Perhaps your teenagers are questioning their faith and this whole Jesus thing, hold on. You don't have to have all the right answers. Just keep showing them the right care and love of Jesus and how he has transformed you. Or perhaps being a Christian in high school or college just doesn't seem as fun as partying or sleeping around. Hold on. Look at the lives of three people in their 40s that you respect, that you think, one day, I hope I have a life like them. And ask this question, how do I get from where I'm at today to where they are? And whatever they answer is, hold on to that. 
Be faithful. John climbs up the ladder. He pulls back the veil to show you that you actually aren't doing that bad. You just got to endure that tough season today to receive the promise of tomorrow. What I love about this message to the church, specifically of Smyrna, is that we know that it's received. We know that it's received. John has a disciple of his named Polycarp, who was the pastor of the church in Smyrna years later. And the story goes that when Polycarp's 86, he's praying, and in comes the proconsuls and the magistrates in Smyrna, and they take him to a stadium like this, except it's thousands of, of, of angry Romans. And the proconsuls, the magistrates, they start ble- pleading with Polycarp. Listen, respect your age. Claim Caesar is Lord so that we don't have to burn you at the stake. And they ask him, they say, listen, look at the Christians and the whole faith and say, away with the atheists, away with those who won't acknowledge the pantheon of gods. And Polycarp, in this beautiful, brilliant moment, looks at not the Christians, but the Romans up in the stands, and he waves his hand, and he says, away with the atheists, those that deny the one true God. They threaten him. They say, we're going to throw you to wild beasts if you don't change your mind. He said, what help is me changing from being, you know, being killed to staying alive versus me being changed from evil to righteousness? They say, well, burning at the stake. And he says, what threat is a temporal fire? Well, you don't know anything about the eternal fire and punishment and judgment of God. And they say, please, they're begging him at this point, please, just rebel Christ, denounce him. And Polycarp said this famous phrase, for 80 and six years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He pulled back the veil. He remembered the letter. And time and time again, he didn't see his life threatened by life in the upside down, but he knew what was behind the veil. And he saw his life right side up. He had ears to hear what the Spirit was saying to him, that you're doing better than you think. So hold on. Do you have ears to hear that message today? Maybe you need to hear this one. This is not to um, Smyrna and Philadelphia. This is to the next two, to Pergamum and to Thyatira. This is the message that John has for them. I know where you live, Pergamum, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, who was killed, by the way, who was killed and put to death in your city where Satan lives. You see, Pergamum's not immune to persecution. Antipas was killed. He was persecuted. So they're being threatened all over the place. It's the same with Thyatira. I know your deeds your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Perseverance. Remaining true. Not renouncing faith. So these churches were getting some things right, but they were missing it. And it's one key area. Look at what they were missing. Pergamum, there's some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. See, Pergamon, you have remained true, but you're letting false teaching deceive you, distract you, to derail you. Same with, same with Thyatira. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. You see, false teaching is leading to deception off of the right path. They didn't need to hear you're heading in the wrong direction. Repent. 
They didn't need to hear, you're uh, doing better than you think, so hold on. They needed to hear this message. You're heading in the right direction, so stay the course. You're heading in the right direction, so stay the course. You're doing the right stuff, you're remaining true, you're you're having perseverance, but don't get distracted by the hollow and deceptive philosophies. Don't get distracted by the false teachers around you. Yes, this is hard, this path of following Jesus, but stay the course. Charles Williams, he says, this message is so important to us the church, he says, because there's no other institution which suffers from time more than religion. Once one generation learns something both of theory and practice on what life right side up looks like and the upside down, they're removed by death and the next generation has to start all over. That's why it's so key for the older generation to see your role as guiding and directing the youth and children into life, passing it on. It's interesting to remember this. None of these churches have been in existence for more than 50 years. And yet degeneration was already in process. Let me pause for a moment. Say something to our church family. I know the last seven years have been difficult and hard on a lot of you. The guests who are new here, you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. That's okay. I'm just going to talk to our church family for a second. Some of you, though, families that you worshipped with and you were in a home group with for decades are now gone. They're no, no longer here anymore for one reason or another. They've decided to worship elsewhere. And it's been hard. It's been discouraging. It's had a frustrating season with lots of pain and, and loss and regret. But I believe this is the message with all my being that John wants to say to us today, you're heading in the right direction. Stay the course. Like, your mission is making disciples of Jesus who changed the world. That's my mission. Stay the course. Your vision is to reach every person on every house on every street with the gospel of Jesus. That's my vision. Stay the course. Your strategy is to multiply on every level disciples and leaders and small groups and churches and campuses and, and, and services and movements. Stay the course. And if you're a, a Christian, for the very new Christian, you're like second week in church. And already it's difficult. You've lost friends over this thing. Maybe you joined a small group last week for the first time and you went to their small group this, this last week and everyone was awkward. And so it's like, oh man, I already committed this thing. This is going to be hard. Get, stay the course. It takes a while to get connected in community and to feel comfortable. Stay the course. You have, don't listen to the deceptive, the, 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 uh, the lies of the enemy that tries to derail you and deceive you. This is what God is doing. He's guiding you. He's directing you in the path. And it's hard, yes, but you're heading in the right direction. Maybe that's the message you need to hear today. Don't be deceived. Stay the course. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to you today? Maybe it's you're heading in the wrong direction. You need to repent. Or you're better off than you think, so hold on. Or you're heading in the right direction. Stay the course. John continues to pull back the veil to show us that, man, this is what life looks like right side up in a world that's upside down. Things aren't always what they seem. And that's why the center of this structure, this message to the churches in Asia Minor, is this letter to this church right here. Let me show it to you again. It's Sardis. This is his message to Sardis, and this is where we kind of bring everything to a close. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So wake up. He's like, hey, wake up. Get up. 
Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. You see, Sardis' reputation did not match reality. The city was known as the impregnable city, the city that was unconquerable. It was impossible to defeat. It was built in a mountain, had cliffs on three sides all around it. One way in, one way out, the defenses were strong. And yet twice in its history, the Persians and Antiochus both conquered Sardis. They need a new city motto. (laughs) But the church there, its reputation didn't match reality. Is that true for you? Does the image you put out there in the world, does it match the reality behind closed doors? Does your brand match your behaviors? Did your ethics and beliefs change depending on who you're with? Does the tough exterior on the outside cover over the crippling shame and fears on the inside? I don't know about all of you here today. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But every single one of us in this room have to come face to face with this reality. You are doing worse than you think. So wake up. We're doing worse off because of this thing called sin. It's us rebelling against God saying, you know what? Your way isn't right side up. My way is. And when we do that, we bring about destruction for ourselves and all those around us. Sin hurts people. I don't know about you, but when I choose that life, I hurt people. People that I love. And yet it pervades every aspect of my life, my behaviors and my habits, my thoughts and beliefs. And what happens is it leads to a life less than what God created us to live. But the goal of the enemy is for us to be deaf to the voice of God in our lives. And he wants to whisper to us and say, you know what, you're doing fine without addiction. You're managing it well. He wants to tell us, this is the spirit of the age. This is what everybody believes. It's okay. It's okay. It's new. It's new. That's that old traditional stuff. That's, that, that's no good. Or he's saying, you're better than them over there. And so as long as you're better than them, your, your family issues are fine. You don't need counseling. And what happens is we settle for less than God's plan for us. The question today you have to answer is will you? And will you leave this place asleep, deaf, blind? Or will you see the world that God is trying to pull back the veil and show you, no, no, this is right side up. And this is how you live in a life upside down. Because things aren't always what they seem. We're going to end the sermon today with a time of prayer. Prayer team, go ahead and get up. And, and if you're an elder or minister, get up. We have four areas in this room that we're going to light with some lights here. There's going to be blue lights right here in the back exit room and over here on the sides and right up here up front. And you guys can just gather in one of those four areas, prayer team, ministers, elders. And man, during this next season, uh, uh, just a couple minutes, if you feel like you need prayer, maybe, maybe God pulled the veil back for you on one of these four things. And you just need to go and say, listen, I need to wake up or I need to repent. I got to hold on or man, I got to stay the course. Pray with me. Maybe it's you need to pray with a person that you came with today. Or maybe you can take that worship guide that we gave. You can write all over it. You just need to just pray to God for what you're wrestling through and dealing with. Let me put those four kind of messages from beyond the veil to you today. Don't leave today without acknowledging which, which messages is a spirit saying to you, do you have ears to hear it? That you're heading in the wrong direction. So repent. Or that you're better off than you think, so stay to hold on. Or maybe you're heading in the right direction, you need to stay the course, or maybe it's you're worse off than you think, and 
it's time to wake up. Spend some time praying. Because remember, things aren't always what they seem.